It is nice to be with you and I hope that you'll be able to hear me. I want to start with a brain teaser, just to make sure that you are still awake. I'm going to show you five images. Each one has got two things in common. They've each got two things in common. See if you can work out what they are. First, there's a rainforest. Second, a hedgehog. Third, a child. The fourth is a Ming vase. And the fifth is a homeless man. They've each got two things in common. Any obvious thoughts? They're all fragile. Very fragile. Rainforests are being destroyed. Hedgehogs are declining in numbers. Children are easily hurt or abused. A Ming vase smashes easily. And a homeless person is at great risk of illness, of attack and of the cold. That's one thing they've got in common. They're all fragile or vulnerable. There's a second thing they have in common. They're all valuable. The rainforests and the hedgehogs are valuable parts of the ecosystem. Children are precious, valuable to their families and they're the future of society. Ming vases are rare, worth a lot of money. And the homeless man, well, he's a human being. He's made in God's image and he's therefore valued by God even if he's not always valued by other people. And that is what these verses from 1 Timothy 5, part of a series that you're going through on 1 Timothy. And today's theme, how to treat each other, are all about. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, hold on to these two thoughts, that everyone, all people, are valuable, and all people are vulnerable. And therefore, we're to treat all people with care and respect. Remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount when he spoke of God caring for the birds of the air and he said, don't, don't be afraid, don't fear, little flock. You're far more valuable than many birds. It's an appropriate theme for Mother's Day and, uh, but it's relevant to everyone every day. Now, before we look at Paul's instructions, I want you to notice two things and on this rather auspicious day especially just after we've had International Women's Day I realise I am at great risk of mansplaining and I will do my best to make it as complicated as I can. The first thing is that Paul um, uh, writes or opens his letter to Timothy with a hymn of praise. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. That's how the letter starts in chapter 1. And he bursts out in praise to God because he goes on to say in chapter 1, even though I was once a, blas <coughs> a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, the grace of our Lord 
was poured out on me abundantly. We've been singing about that a few minutes ago. So Paul's advice in this letter on how to treat one another is based on his experience of how God has treated him. And secondly, notice that Paul's instructions on how to teach each other, how to treat each other, are universally applicable. They apply to everyone. So in his letter to the Galatians, Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Notice he does not say exclusively those who belong to the family of believers. Let us do good to all people. He's echoing Jesus' words again in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, because he sends his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God cares for all people. And so Jesus goes on, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are to treat all people who are valuable and vulnerable, lovingly, we're to treat them with care and respect because that is how God treats us. Now, we didn't, uh, and we need also just to avoid that temptation that comes so easily to us of treating some people as more vulnerable or valuable rather than others. Remember, the New Testament reminds us all people are of equal value. Now, we didn't read all of 1 Timothy because Paul there goes into quite a lot of detail about one specific social issue that was especially relevant at his time. And it's very easy, if we just read the whole lot, to overlook some of the others that get perhaps only mentioned in passing or uh, in, with less detail. And it's very important when we come to a passage like this that we actually do ask, what did it mean in its original context? What did it mean to the people at the time? And then we look for general principles which we can apply to our own extremely different times. And in this passage, Paul is telling us how to treat six groups of people. I'm only going to look at five. The final one was employers, slave masters, and that, in a sense, is a huge, huge uh, subject all on its own. I'm not going to touch on that. But just so that you know where we're going, the five that he particularly points out are the different generations, different genders, the opposite sex, widows and the elderly, church ministers, and people who face allegations. These are the people that he particularly isolates as people who we need to think about or they needed to think about in his time as to how they were treated. You could probably add others as well to the list but those are the ones that Paul particularly refers to. So let's just have a look at them. 
The first is different generations. Verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Exhort an older man as if he was your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. In other words, treat them all with equal care and respect. Older people often have experience and wisdom that is worth considering. They're also vulnerable to being dismissed as being past it or irrelevant by faster-paced younger people. But note that age of itself does not guarantee wisdom. Age can also breed obstinacy and pride. The view that the old ways were always better. And that's why Paul says in the same breath that we're also to value and to respect younger people. Jesus included children in his list, as it were, in his embrace of people to take seriously and to value. It's especially true in any group where older people are very much in the majority. Younger people aren't listened to. They're overlooked. People say, well, what do they know? And as a result, they've become, in our own society, disenchanted with politics and turned off by traditional church. But they have energy. They have ideas. They understand their contemporaries. They are our future leaders. Paul says both generations are valuable and both can be vulnerable. Both, therefore, are to be treated with care and respect. Then he goes on to the hugely topical matter of gender discrimination and gender differences, the opposite sex. Paul refers to men and women as family. Fathers, brothers, mothers, sisters. And what he's actually saying here is that we have to treat one another in different genders, of different genders, as we would treat them in our own families. It means, amongst other things, observing appropriate boundaries in both family life and in work and community relationships. It means also not forcing traditional stereotypes that are just that. They're traditional and not necessarily biblical. Did you see that dash cam footage uh, last week of the bus on an icy road that was covered on most of the news media swerving to avoid a car? It was a brilliant piece of defensive driving. But I wonder if those who were sort of referred to it, I wonder how many referred to the driver as he. Because she was a woman. Women can drive buses too and build them and maintain them. Years ago I used to teach a variety of groups writing principles and the importance of good grammar and punctuation. And I would give them these words and ask them to punctuate them in order to make the sense clear. A woman without her man is nothing. Nothing. 
Now, there's two ways you can punctuate that. The first is the traditional. A woman without her man is nothing. Or there's the biblical. A woman without her, a man is nothing. And whichever you choose says something about your ingrained attitudes. Now we've just uh, marked the International Women's Day and it's in rather stark contrast to the, well our own society is in rather stark contrast to the rather patriarchal image and and, uh, society of the Bible where women were regarded as second class citizens. But again it's important that we distinguish between the context and the message because the Bible lays down the foundation for the emancipation of women and for their equal treatment with care and respect. God created man and women equally in his image, status identical. Paul reminds us in his letter to the Galatians again that there is no male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile in God's kingdom. There's no gender discrimination, no social or racial discrimination. All, says Paul, are one in Christ and therefore are to be treated with care and respect. Remember how Jesus dealt with women, how he taught women, how he welcomed them into, uh, as disciples, how he allowed Mary to be sitting at his feet and listening and learning and not just serving in the kitchen. How he had compassion on the widow of Nain. How he dealt with the woman with the issue of blood, the bleeding, who came to him when he was on an emergency call somewhere else. The respect, the care of people who in his society were especially vulnerable. So I just wonder how it is that in a Western society founded on Christian values. It's taken us until the 21st century for a group of actresses and broadcasters to highlight some of the abominable examples of gender discrimination, exploitation and abuse. It's a situation, of course, which many in the church have been complicit with in the past. And yet the scriptures have been screaming at us for centuries that God's way is different. Both genders are equally valuable. One is especially still vulnerable. And now Paul moves on to the elderly with special needs. He's particularly focusing on widows. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. And on Mother's Day, perhaps a good reminder of the value and the vulnerability of grandmothers and grandfathers, and aunts and uncles too, and fathers. But the elderly and especially widows were particularly vulnerable in Paul's time. There was no NHS, there were no hospitals, there were no pensions, there were no benefits, there were no suitable jobs, there were no care homes. Think of Jesus' compassion on the widow of Nain, whose only hope of survival was her son and he died. She would have been on the streets and she would have been begging had Jesus not raised him from the dead. 
Widows and disabled men were potentially homeless and destitute. And that, of course, is why Jesus asked John, the apostle, to look after his mother after his crucifixion. No one else would have done it, although Jesus did have brothers and sisters, but we don't know anything about their family situation. And the Old Testament is full of similar instructions all the way through, particularly in the laws of Moses in the early parts of the Old Testament, you'll find continued instructions to look after the widows and orphans, people who were especially vulnerable. Now, of course, in biblical times, care for the elderly was particularly a family matter. It was a responsibility particularly of the children to look after their parents, to honour their parents as the commandment goes. And you may remember that in Mark 7, Jesus ripped off those who got around that commandment by saying in a kind of religious ceremony that the resources that they should have given, they were giving instead as a gift to God's responsibility. Family care was probably easier in certain respects when several generations all lived in the same area, sometimes even in the same house in biblical times. But that, uh, our increased mobility and spread families spread out across the country or even the world is still not an excuse to neglect caring for and respecting them as a priority. Paul's other principle, though, not just the family, is also the community, in his case the church, which he's saying should step in when families are not able to care for those who are particularly vulnerable, for the elderly. And we know what's happening in our own society to social care. Biblically, care for the elderly is a matter for family and community. And it's a priority, not an extra. We're to treat the elderly with care and respect. And Paul takes a similar line with leaders, with caring for church leaders. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Now commentators don't really know exactly what Paul means by double honour. There are various uh, suggestions but clearly he does mean that they should be adequately supported so that they do not face financial stress because of the time that they are giving to the work of their ministry. They're valuable and should therefore be valued. But they're also vulnerable. They're vulnerable to criticism and disagreement that can go easily beyond respectful discussion and uh, uh, to, to, to simmering hostility arguing over the colour of things and so on and if you can see the captions on that cartoon the pastor on the top left trying to come up with some kind of compromise grumbling or warring church members sap spiritual energy they hinder spiritual effectiveness caring for church leaders means supporting them spiritually and personally they're vulnerable to temptation. They're vulnerable to spiritual attack. And they're vulnerable to burnout because the workload is never ending and the expectations of congregations can often be unrealistic. 
we care best for our leaders if we develop a culture of corporate togetherness and mutual support. They're valuable and they're vulnerable and they deserve our care and our respect. And finally in this list, apart from the employers, Paul takes the issue of grumbling church members and allegations made about leaders just a step further. Don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses, he says. People against whom allegations are made are vulnerable. They are vulnerable to victimisation. They're vulnerable to bullying. They're vulnerable to the sort of rumour that becomes Chinese whispers. They are to be treated with care and respect and not be prejudged until the matter is dealt with in the proper forum. And that is what Paul is saying there about allegations, rumours against church leaders. It applies to people in any walk of life. And throughout the New Testament, gossip is condemned. It makes valuable people vulnerable. It destroys reputations. It divides communities. It damages good work. Love, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, always trusts and hopes until it is proved to be misplaced. And Jesus said, don't judge or you will be judged. Now, allegations should be supported by evidence is what Paul is saying here. But neither, of course, should they ever be swept under the carpet. They must be dealt with clearly, but by the right people in the proper forum. And allegations of child abuse in churches, of course, have been mishandled sometimes because well-meaning people refuse to believe or to follow up allegations. So-and-so would never do that. We know him too well, her too well. And yet the church, of course, has long been a very fertile hunting ground for predatory but plausible people. So there's Paul's list. Five groups that he picks out with specific um, thoughts about how they should be treated. Different generations, old and young together. Different genders, working together, treated equally. Widows and the elderly, cared for in their need. Church ministers supported and upheld. And people who face allegations not to be have their matters have things made worse. He's laying down principles about how we should treat all these people. And we could, of course, as I said at the beginning, add our own from our own time. But the principles would be the same. All are vulnerable. All are valuable. All are to be treated with care and respect. And that is the essence of the Christian life. It's so simple. We're to treat people in exactly the same way as God has treated us. As valuable, as vulnerable, because of our weakness and our sinfulness, to be cared for, and in a very real sense, respected, because he's given us responsibilities in the world to serve him. Do you remember Jesus' parable about the unmerciful servant? In modern times, the servant had his lifetime mortgage written off by a kind banker 
and then he went out and threw a subtenant into jail for a month's rent. Through Jesus, God has written off our debt. The debt of service, of obedience, of perfection that we could never pay. Living as a Christian is no more or less than showing the same consideration to the people around us who we meet day by day. In Jesus' words, we're to wash their feet, to love our neighbour as ourselves. There's no ifs, there's no buts, there are no exceptions. Treat everyone as God has treated you. With love and forgiveness, with patience, with kindness, with help, with understanding. Because everyone that you meet the rest of today and in the coming week is as valuable and as vulnerable as you are. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and care for us. The love that valued us so much that you sent your Son into the world to die and rise again for us so that we could enter into a relationship with you. We thank you that you respect our humanity and give us tasks to serve you in the world, inadequate as we are to do that. Forgive us for the times when we don't show the same care and respect towards others. Help us, Lord, to be lights who shine in the world with your love. Help us to be salt and light in a world that is very often selfish and thoughtless. So fill us with your spirit that we may serve you as you deserve. For Jesus' sake. Amen.